Welcome back to another episode of You Wouldn't Download a Podcast. Today we have very special guest, Tim Kinsella with us. Tim, thanks for coming by. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the it. Virtual I was gonna studio. Say, <laughs> yeah, the virtual studio. Thanks for uh linking up. Um I was gonna say we were talking right before uh you were asking if we met before, and uh we've actually crossed paths about I wanna say I have four times that I can remember written down. Mm-hmm. So we have actually run into each other. And I want to say the first time was, I want to say it was like 2009 or 2010 in Orlando. Joan of Arc played at this venue called Back Booth. It's like tiny venue. I don't know if oh. you remember that tour or anything. Was Victor playing second guitar? Victor was, yeah. Huh. I can only picture Will's Pub and uh, Social. Dude, when did you play Will's Pub and Social? Because I lived in Orlando for five years, and that back booth show, I was like, Joan of Arc is coming to Florida. Like, I had never, you know, we didn't go there for like 10 years. We played Mm -hmm. the Social so many times. Um, And Will's Pub, maybe twice. I love Will's Pub. My uh, my roommate in Florida at the time, he was a sound guy at the Social. So, and he worked at the Beecham, which is like the big uh-huh. venue that Social also owned down the street. But um, yeah, this back booth show, my buddy Wilson, he was like writing for some new Orlando music blog. And he was set to interview you in the green room like before the show. And I had won a ticket from the radio from the record store. And I raced down there and Wilson was like, hey, like I'm a big like Joan of Arc fan, but you're like an obsessive fan. Would you want to do the interview and like come backstage and like ask the question? So I was like, oh, of course. Like, why wouldn't I want to do that? And I think I was really nervous, but I asked if you would play Let's Wrestle and you did, which was very kind. I appreciate (laughs) fulfilling the request. No problem. That's, um, that was your only interview question. Hey, could you play the song <laughs> at the show? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times we can't play requests. So, you know, mm-hmm. like just if they aren't in our hands. Who's in the band at the time? Yeah, whatnot. yeah. So if we can, it always, it's nice to do it when we can because we like in a very practical way have to say, sorry, wish we could. Sure. Well, I think I had like watched a recent video of a show you guys had played online right around that time. And I was like, okay, this is like an old track that they, they play occasionally. So this is Mm. like worth asking. And, you know, I was like in fucking college, I was probably like 21 at the time. So I was like, Oh, meeting like a music idol of mine. Like gotta, gotta shoot my shot, you know, with a song (laughs) request. I guess you would say it all worked then, out. <laughs> I want to say a year later, I actually flew to Chicago to see the Cap and Jazz reunion show in July. At was it Empty Bottle or Bottom um, Lounge? Bottom Lounge probably was Bottom ch- Lounge. Yeah. And um, that was awesome. Very very sick. I was like, you guys were reuniting uh, for a tour, and again, like not coming anywhere near Florida. So I was like, if I have to travel somewhere to see you guys, I want to see you guys play in fucking Chicago. Obviously that's going to be like the yeah. most fun sh- show. And I like flew out and uh, stayed with my friend at this uh, punk house for a week, which was like right down the street from Ronnie's, which I knew uh-huh. about. Cause I had seen like, 
Ghost and Vodka had shows at Ronnie's and this and that, like uh, all the lore of, of the different, like... Oh, what a funny place to remember. A, projects. Yeah, it's so weird, like, from far away, like, Ronnie's had, like... It's like a kind of fancy mixology kind of bar now. I, I actually haven't been in, but... um, Like, the thing about Ronnie's, I remember, is they had, like, a, this sort of, like, chili nacho sauce just like sitting out at the bar like in like a hot not a hot plate but whatever like a slow cooker kind of thing crock pot yeah crock very, pot. they had like a crock the, pot uh, of like nacho cheese chili that you could like help yourself to that like you know it, it felt like there's probably like cum and like screws and like broken watch parts in it but like <laughs> if you're drunk enough cheese. you'd be like like <laughs> oh okay so yeah Dude, it was such I mean, a gnarly spot yeah that's what i've heard like the house i stayed at was called uh the moving castle at the time mm-hmm. and it was it was sick like i i remember i got off the plane my friend met me at the airport we went back to the house i dropped off my bag there was like a a house show that night. It was like P.S. Elliot and like that band forming. It was like their first show, that Chicago mm. band. No, no. And uh, we went across the street to the 7-Eleven and I was like, they sell liquor at 7-Eleven here? What the fuck? And I bought like like a 40 ounce because in Florida, 40 ounces are like illegal. They only go up to like oh. 34. So I was like, oh, fucking <laughs> walk to the 7-Eleven and I can buy <clears throat> liquor. It was, I mean... That was my plan uh, was to move to Chicago initially from Florida. And then I ended up going to New York because I knew more people here. Mm-hmm. Like all my friends in Chicago had left by the time I was ready to move. Yeah, there's been but, a pretty uh, massive brain drain here the last decade. Yeah. and But, you know, I had a great time, like borrowed like um, one of my friend's roommates bikes and like biked around the city, Chicago diner, uh, fucking mm-hmm. what's the falafel place? Uh, Sultan's? That's Solden's so good. And that was actually my second time in Chicago. I went in 2007 to Lollapalooza, which is kind of my first link to like meeting Joan of Arc affiliated people. Because in high school, I think I found Sam Zurich's, I think his AIM screen name was on the Joan of Arc site for a period or something. I don't know. What's AIM? Like AOL Instant Messenger. Oh. And yeah, uh, I, I used to send him messages where I would just write like stream of conscious, like nonsensical, like satire type sentences, like talking shit about the Chicago Cubs to him. And he would reply to me. And, yeah, uh, Sam was like a really <laughs> active, like when we were doing the band Make Believe, he was like doing our social media stuff. And I guess it would be MySpace at the time. And we would like show up to shows and we'd be like loading in like, I remember one time we were, it was time to sound check and he's like, man, you guys, I'm sorry. I got to skip sound check. You know, I got to go to this volleyball game. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, I told this kid I'd go to her high school volleyball game. <laughs> if we got to town in time and it was like, well, you're, you're going to what? And like another time we like showed up to the show and like this kid showed up with like a scooter that like they had like rented Sam a scooter to like give him like a uh uh tour of the town wherever we were. 
So yeah, he was he was he was really into like just whatever might happen from talking to whoever. Just engaging. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought it was sick because I was like, you know, I was like 18 and I went to Lollapalooza 2007 and met up with Sam. Actually, he was <laughs> like, I'm going to be at some booth for an hour, like selling my CDRs. And I mm. went and met up with him and bought the Cockadoodle Doo CDR. Oh, right. And it was really cool. And then I also met Bobby there. Because Sam told me that Bobby was around the fest because he was playing with Chin Up Chin Up at the time. Oh, and they played. And they played. And I talked to him like through the fence uh, uh-huh. right before their set. And he was like, come to my Smith's night. I'm like DJing like the Smith's night or whatever. And I was like, that sounds great. But I was only 18. So I was mm-hmm. like a little skeptical trying to go out. And I didn't really know Chicago that well. But that was the first time I met Bobby and Sam. And then... I think I reconnected with Bobby at the um, at the 2010 Captain Jazz show because he was working the merch table, mm. and uh, you know I'm a big Love of Everything fan too. So like, pretty much everything that came from the Kinsella Captain Jazz tree, I'm like into in some capacity. Um, so Thank that was you. really cool. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, highly like I think I found you guys in like high school, like. I want to say I was reading, not that this is like the best uh, way to find Joan of Arc, but I think I was reading like a a, a review for The Gap somewhere, mm. like around when it came out. Because I was like, you know, middle school, I was buying like random music, like AP spin, just like whatever, reading like online blogs and shit. And I think I found you guys through there. And my friend, who was a big fan, showed me like he had like you, the discography, like everything uh-huh. you guys had done until then. And he like showed me all of it and I became like obsessive. <laughs> oh, well, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. a, a mean, little different of a story than what you told me, Jeff. You said you found out about Joan of Arc by browsing the Catholic Saints Wikipedia page. <laughs> Hey, and then man. you just went to the disambiguation. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to, I'm just doing no, some mixed stuff here. Yeah, there's no you, right or wrong way to find us. Right. The thing is, is Jacob, you're ruining the perception of the history I'm trying to craft <clears throat> for, the, for, for the sake of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, if we have like some warm swells in between you telling that story mm-hmm. and some kind of pauses, and maybe, maybe if there's up. like, yeah. And it, Tim, if you like hmm, at any point during the pod, if I can get like a sound bite of that, we'll probably intersperse yeah. it in there. We'll drag out the conversation for like That's 45 funny, minutes. That's funny, you know, um, we listened to the Daily, you know, the New York Times podcast a while mornings, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, making breakfast. And um, that guy, Michael Barbaro, he's always like, hmm. And we're always like, kind of like <laughs> yeah, we're quietly making breakfast side by side listening to it and every time he goes hmm we like turn to each other and impersonate it. hmm <laughs> it's like it's such like a weird i mean it's not it's not a weird thing it's it's a it's a very common mm. like i'm here i'm listening here's here's a little nonverbal cue that i'm interested but i guess you just listen to the same guy and he's not talking a lot he's listening most times so you, you know, need like, like a you need to like trigger the sound when you do something different. Like when you're experimenting with the cooking and you like step it up a notch, you're like, I'm going to try a new recipe. You Mm. throw something in the pan and you're like, hit the sound trigger. (laughs) (laughs) 
There's not a lot of uh, recipes or experimentation for breakfast usually, but I do like the the idea that you would think we would be so daring at breakfast. Well, why not, man? Experimental I mean, breakfast ventures. <laughs> You're like, we're mixing it up. Usually we got eggs, but eggs couldn't come this time. So we got we got toast. Toast is filling in for eggs. You never, never both at the same time. Never. Both. You're not allowed to um, do both. So yeah, that was that was the second time I met you at that Cap and Jazz reunion. I think briefly, and then I went to a show. I want to say this must be like this is somewhat recently. It must be like 2007 or 2016 or 2017 or 16. You were playing a show at Rough Trade in New York. Uh-huh. a solo show and i bought tickets very excited um went to the show i started talking to this girl out front because i didn't really know anybody in new york uh it must have been closer to when i moved here maybe 2015 or something was it um did i play guitar or electronic music you played electronic music yeah it would have been like uh 2015 i think 2015 yeah summer. and there was no so it was summer 2014 actually. Right. And I moved to New York in 2014. It was with Jimmy Whispers. Jimmy Whispers, exactly. And it was awesome. I I bought tickets to the show and didn't know what to expect because hadn't really seen you build solo Mm -hmm. ever, uh, you know, to a show that I was able to go to. And uh, it was awesome. I just remember I met this girl beforehand who was like from Philly and she was really cool. She was like the only other person there extra early. And we talked for a while. And then after the set, I think you talked to her for a minute and told her that you were going over to union pool. So we Mm. walked over to union pool and hung out with you for a little bit after. Mm. And you were really stoked because the next day you were going to meet up with Genesis P orange. Oh, right. And you were like very excited about that. Yeah, uh, and that seemed fucking awesome. I was just like, "Damn, how did I end up sitting at this like backyard table with Tim Kinsella talking about like Genesis P Orange?" <laughs> yeah, that was a really intense day. Yeah, what I was did, that I like? Remember that that was the morning after um, that show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's um, there's a book that has like uh, a lot of that interview in it. Um, my friend is a tattoo artist, Robert Ryan. Um, it was part of his book that like he and I went over there together to talk with Genesis. Um, yeah, it was, it was really intense. It was very much like a sort of, um, you know, my ex-wife had this um, job at the end of uh, Studs Turkle's life where she was his assistant and he spent like the last year or two before he passed away, just kind of like in bed all day giving interviews. And he would just kind of like, she figured out that like he would just kind of be talking all day and like his one o'clock person would like come in and then it would get to be like two o'clock and someone else would show up and like the one o'clock person would be let out and the two o'clock person would be brought in. But uh stud circle would just like, keep talking a continuous monologue throughout the whole day. Mm. And, and Genesis, it, it felt a little like that. Like, mm. I'm not sure if, um, 
they were aware of like uh, what the interview was for or <laughs> anything. Just it's mm-hmm. like, okay, some people are coming over. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. That's how I feel like uh, <clears throat> inviting people on the podcast sometimes too, because we're kind of like a laid back, loose structure comedy podcast. And I'll ask a lot of musicians to come on. And I, uh, I'm nervous that they're not like, that they think it's going to be much more like rigid and like, like music journalist type interview than just kind of like a chill situation where people are fucking around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's not there. Um, from the perspective of a musician who's done a lot of interviews for a lot of years, but then also like, you know, there's a year at a time where I don't do any. And then there's like, months at a time where I do a ton and then, you know, it's always this back and forth, but it's kind of like, you know, really depends on like how, uh, on your perception, like they're kind of all exactly the same and they're kind of all different, you know, it's the same. Mm-hmm. As, it just depends on uh so yeah, that's not, yeah, on you. it's like, you guys just do your thing and then it's up to the people how they want to respond to it. You know? Sure. Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like collaborate, any type of collaborative form, like whatever someone brings to it. But um, yeah, and then the last time I actually saw you in person was uh, right around the Jawbreaker reunion shows in Brooklyn. Uh, You played a solo set at Come On Everybody, Mm -hmm. which I also went to. And that was awesome. Um, It was the only time I've seen you play a solo set that was like old Joan of Arc songs, which was Mm -hmm. very cool, but also, you know, just anything you do, like even seeing the electronic set, it's like, I'm about that. Like I'm about seeing artists do something different that like, you know, you don't know if they're going to do it again. It could be a one-time thing. It's like part of the whole fucking enjoying live music shit. Like who wants to see a guy play the same shit you saw last time, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Good attitude. Very um, gen- generous attitude as a uh, listener. Yeah. And, well, and, you know, and, I, and not particularly common, you know? Sure. I mean, people, you know, they get stuck in what they like. Like, people have, like, a favorite album from high school. And then as adults, they don't even, like, search for new music. They just keep listen- going back to the well of what they knew. And it's like, there's so much shit out there to check out. Like, you know, there is, why limit yourself? Yeah, there is, like, a... Um, I mean, number one, there's like the different ways that we use listening to music, like how it, like if you're listening to be comforted, then you need familiarity and that's totally valid. Like you want this familiar thing that reminds you like, oh, I'm the same person that loved this song when I was 15 years old and I still have this, you know, and there's like a feedback loop in how you respond to it because you're like, not only did I love it when I was 15 years old, but I feel like my whole life is so different. But when I hear it now, I and I love it now, and then I realize that I loved it when I was 15, I'm like still the same person. You know, so it like grounds you in your identity to repeat these things. But there's also like mm-hmm. a biological factor that like the synopses in your brain, like kind of by the time you're early 30s, I don't remember the details, I read this a year or two ago, but like, um, the synapses in your brain are formed enough that like you're not interested in like 
new things, new artistic things or aesthetic experiences as much as uh, re-experiencing what you already knew to like uh, chart your own changes according to that. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. a, a like a comfort thing. Maybe like the brain, mm-hmm. it's too challenging. Maybe uh, yeah. to push on. I guess it's like you know when you're younger you learn things easier. You're like more impressionable. You're open to a little Mm -hmm. bit more. And, you know, also like as someone that like was obsessed with music from a young age as a fan, like I don't, I don't make music. I'm just like very into music culture and history and like Uh new things. It's like, I could see people that had the same interest as me at a previous age how like their responsibilities shift and suddenly like finding new interesting music isn't like the biggest priority in their life, which I get, but I just, I can't relate because it's like, it's always like the undercurrent of my biggest interest, you know? Well, it's it's a weird uh, thing of like continuing to make new music too is like, um, You know, if if someone has certain amount of dollars in their pocket and they go into the record store and they're like, oh, I can get like an eighth record I own by this person or I could check out this new thing. Or like on tour, you know, people are like that might have come out to see us every time in Orlando or wherever 20 years ago now have to be up early every day and have kids and responsibilities and are like, I'm not staying up you know, till Let's go to the rock show. They, they started 11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Uh, but you see, you know, you have a dedicated audience. I would say that come on, everybody shows pretty full, you know, yeah, for like, uh, it was great. And I remember before the show started, I was sitting at the bar and I, I went by myself again and I, I turned around and you and Blake from Jawbreaker were like having a chat right next to me. And I was just like, man, I wish I could tell fucking 15 year old me that I'd be sitting at a bar with Tim and Blake. Like this is blowing my mind. 100%. Never thought I'd see Jawbreaker. <laughs> yeah. In a million years. And then, um, around that time, I think we had a conversation at the merch table at the end because you had just shared a cap and jazz meme from millions of dead posers that I made. And I was mm. like, I made the meme that you just shared because there was no like credit attached to it. <laughs> the millions of dead posers page. So I like really wanted you to know that I made it, even though mm. it was like such a fucking stupid thing. <laughs> and then I, I think I, I bought like an owl shirt, like a red owl shirt and like a pink cap and jazz shirt. And I was like, thanks so much for the show. It was great. And you were like, thanks for the memes. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> Very funny in an awkward way. Like I took myself out of it and looked at it and I was like, this is a hilarious, like, oh. like only once in a lifetime interaction. That's very funny to me. Yeah. And probably very tough that way. I mean, people yeah. want to claim ownership, but that's like part of the idea of it is that it, it has its own life. Yeah. Little do you know, yeah. Jeff, that 10 other people came to the table before and also claimed that they made the meme. So it's a Spartacus, it's an I am Spartacus situation. Dude, actually that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> you but, need um, to see the original file. Yeah. You need to open that <laughs> like Photoshop document. I probably have it. I mean, yeah. my, I'm using like all the same shit as on my phone, but 
I don't feel any need to prove it any further than that. We're going to leave it at that. Real, <laughs> yeah, take your word. Right. Real heads yeah. no, real heads no. Oh, man. But um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the new final Joan of Arc album because mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Love it. Thank you. Huge, huge fan. Uh, I know you guys went into it with like the idea of taking a little bit from all of your sounds and kind of like, like, it's kind of like a best of, of brand new music, you know? Yeah. I don't think that was so intentional. Like the stylistic diversity of it wasn't like, Oh, we need to be sure that we used to hit this nerve and this nerve. Um, It wasn't so intentional in that way as much as it was like, um, yeah, there was never any big decisions about what's included or how it's sequenced or something according to this is the last one as much as it was like every micro decision. It was just there in the back of our heads the whole time. Like it, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, everything we, we had a lot of friends of ours, maybe in like 2013-ish, I want to say, a lot of friends of ours started joking about us as the last 90s band by which they meant, you know, obviously there's like really big bands from the 90s that now still exist and just operate in a different way. And there's new younger bands that might sound like sounds that were more common in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the joke was that we were like the last ones to figure out for like, like to realize that things had changed and we still operated like it was the nineties, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, like we didn't even have a website till like 2012 or 13. Cause like the idea would sometimes come up and we'd be like, but I don't know, we're busy making music. Like we make music. Why are we going to make a website? Like well, you guys had to make websites. Right. <laughs> there was, there was like the Joan of Arc, like, I guess it was like missing vowels was the URL yeah. and it had like a web forum attached. I found like, yeah. I feel like early, right. that's how I found out about like all the projects and like Cap and Jazz getting back together, like the potential Ghost and Vodka reunion. It's like, I was like deep in the forums trying to like scour any information I could find. I think I saw a Ghost and Vodka reunion once. Dude, there was, there was like a, like a rumor that they were, I mean, I'm sure you know all of this. They were getting back together for practice and then they put that one song out on the Joan of Arc Presents call oh, right, that right. you guys did. And then it was like after the practices, they were just like, it's not it's not going to happen. Which I was bummed because that, that Addicts sounds... and Drunks is fucking... That shit rip. Uh, I love... That's like my favorite instrumental math rock project, probably. Yeah. Um, but I, I know like... Because... I was reading the article, uh, the um, article that just came out, which was like the oral history of Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that uh, Sam had split from the band to do that at a point. I thought it was yeah, all like happening. the way it was. Yeah, the way it was told was a little different. Like Eric got really mad at us because he wasn't showing up at any of the mixing sessions for um, How Memory Works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were fucking around with everything. We, you know, we'd record something and then just like process the shit out of it. Um, 
and we reversed his baseline on some song, you know, like play, you know, it's on tape. So we like flipped the tape over and then his baseline became more of like a, I mean, everyone knows the backwards sound um, and finished the song that way. And he was never around for us to like, be like, Hey, is this cool? And we just like assumed it was cool because we were fucking with everything all the time. Right. Um, so Eric got really pissed and he quit. And Sam was his roommate at the time. So I remember Sam quitting more, at, not like he said in the thing, but more as like um, him being like, man, Eric is really making my life hell if I don't quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I can't do it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, that makes sense. And uh, Ghost and Vodka then, it's funny, they then like, so Eric was so mad at me. And then um, I guess, no, Owls hadn't existed by that point. But then at some point, Ghost and Vodka was like, hey, do you want to sing on this? And I was like, no, like, that's like the, you know, nothing personal, but like, that's not the point of your band is that there's no singing. <laughs> there's no, I feel like there's there there's no room. There's just no yeah. room for singing on. The, yeah, I couldn't imagine what it would sound like. Wouldn't it be funny if like singing. the only reason is just they never thought to add vocals? They're like, wait, guys, we can sing on this. Whoa, yeah. that's it's probably closer to the yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I bought like the Memento Mori seven inch used a couple years ago. I found it at some record store in Brooklyn for like thirty bucks. And I know they just did an Addicts and Drunks reissue like during the quarantine that I only stumbled upon like two months ago and it's completely sold out. So I'm like, mm. fuck, I would buy that in a second. But, yeah, I uh, think another interesting thing that, um, you know, obviously I read that oral history with a different kind of lens than anyone else would. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing my brother pointed out that I thought was really cool was he was like, He's like, I really liked it how everyone talks about how they, whatever they did in the band, it was like their first time doing it. Like, like Sam is like, I was the drummer for Joan of Arc and I never played drums before. And Bobby is like, I moved to Chicago to play bass for them and I'd never played bass before. And Todd was like, I uh, moved to Chicago to play guitar for them and I'd never been in the band before. And, um, so I liked that, like, the sort of subtext is that, like, people, it was a space for, for people to come in and, like, learn how to do something. Um, also, I'm not sure if it comes across, but, like, pretty much everyone who ever quit, like, ended up back in it a year or two later, and then would quit again, and then would be back in a year or two. So it was never, like... I can't think of maybe people were angry sometimes at the moment they quit, but there was never any like hard feelings about anything, you know, like it it was like the most casual thing possible. Yeah. I think like in that noisy, uh, 20 years of Joan of Arc doc, Mm -hmm. it's like Bobby was like, you know, um, you get fired from your job, time to find Joan of Arc again. Your dad dies time to find Joan of Arc again. Like, you kind of had this like revolving door that like if anyone fell into a period where they needed to just like get lost in doing like a music project or like take some time off, they could always like come back and yeah, that was right. That was 
very much like the, at some point, you know, we realized like, oh, we aren't going to get rich doing this. And, uh, it turns out we still really enjoy doing it. So we need to reimagine the business model. So then it just became a sort of open door policy. But then, you know, sometimes that would be great. And then sometimes it would really backfire. Like I remember the first rehearsal for the Boo Human tour was like, okay, who wants to go? You know, probably 15 people got the email. Like, here's the tour dates. Who wants to go? And then like we have the first practice and there's like five guitarists and a synth. And we're like, oh, <laughs> shit. Like, what are we going to do? Like, You're like, yeah, until penis is going to sound different. This yeah, way. <laughs> I mean, we tried it. Like, you know, we were like, okay, well, let's let's see what we could do with five guitars and one synth. Um, do some Glenn Branca covers. Yeah, mm. and then eventually you're like, well, maybe someone better play bass. And maybe <laughs> we better find a drummer because this isn't feeling great. Well, I was going to say, that's like kind of how I became aware of the whole like open door policy and like how you guys had so many members was the... Uh, the Joan of Arc's Joan of Arc presents guitar duets, which was like one of my favorite CDs I happened upon in high school. I bought it at like mm. this record store in Fort Lauderdale. Like, you know, I, I was a like a frequent CD warehouse, like used mm. CD hunter. And I would go to Best Buy and buy like the major releases, but there were like certain stores that you had to go to to find like, like certain sure. artists and shit. Yeah. And I found that guitar duet CD. I didn't know what it was. I was like, Joan of Arc presents. I've never heard of this. And that you got, you know, some of the songs had like a John Fahey, like American primitive, like guitar Mm. picking style. And you guys had like, I guess that project was names in a hat, like everyone involved. And you guys picked two names and paired them up for that. Yeah. Everyone just like, yeah, everyone, I I can't remember like the, um, can't remember exactly the model, but I I think it was everyone's name is in the hat, and everyone picks a name out of a hat. So then, like, I think I have one with Mike and one with Todd. Maybe I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like if I pick Mike's name and Todd picks my name, then that's two. Two, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember. Um, the one with you and Mike was so fucking cool. And I was like, I was kind of obsessed at the time with like Mike being in and out. I was a huge Owen fan at the time. Mm. I remember like I went to see him in um, Pensacola. I was in college there for a little bit before I moved to Orlando and he was on tour with um, the singer of Raina Maria, which was Mm. fucking awesome. And I remember talking to him, uh, you know, and this was before like emo revival, like, I had been a huge American football fan in high school, but like, I would say general, like if I brought up American football to somebody in college, nobody like very rarely would you come across people that were like exactly knew what you were talking about. And then the whole emo revival (laughs) shit popped off, I guess in the past, I don't know, five, five years, maybe 10 years. I don't know. But uh, I I mean, I'm a 46 year old man who made a record when he was, 19 that gets associated with that so i I mean it's not like i'm not uh, scouring blogs for the new emo stuff (laughs) that's like another thing that always bothered me is like cap and jazz being called emo and i know you guys don't really like embrace it and i don't i mean you guys kind of like 
started the whole like technical like Midwest emo sound that like has become yeah, a thing. I mean, we didn't start anything. It's not like we like sat down in a smoky room and were like, okay, we're gonna go to the you know, it's just like there were punk shows. All right, punks, time to we start took, Midwest emo. Right. Yeah. You guys did like you guys I mean, did a we, punk album and then I mean, we later did, on. We did this the same thing that every creative we did the same thing. Okay, every creative person you like sort of curate things that came before you, right? And you're like, I like this element of this thing and this element of this thing and this element of this thing. And the ratio that I put them together in is my voice, right? Like, but then you collaborate with people. And so that process happens for each individual, but then you collaborate with people and you got to then way like, well, I'm balancing a ratio of these three things and you're balancing a ratio of these three different things. But if we have one in common, then it kind of resonates more. So, you know what I mean? Like, but we never, we were never like sat around like, we are an emo band. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think at the time it was like what Rites of Spring was like the first emo band and only because Mm -hmm. like some music journalist like coined the term like, I think that that Midwest emo sound gets attributed to Cap'n Jazz in like a retrospective sense where it's like suddenly other bands started emulating a certain sound and then that got a title and then it's attributed that Cap'n Jazz was an emo band. But I never saw that. Like growing up, I was like, they're a fucking punk band, dude. I mean, you know, it's a convenient shorthand. I don't feel uh, particularly like burdened by it or something. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel a connection to it, but I, but it's not like, uh, I'm not up at night, like, uh, <laughs> like, oh my God, am I, do people think I'm too emo or something? You know what I mean? Like it. Sure. And then emo really also like, it kind of like got reinvented around that period anyway, where like bright eyes and like, like indie rock, like folky musicians were starting <clears throat> to be called emo. And it's like, this isn't really the emo from like, I will, I will admit that, that like, um, when I was in high school, I did have a jacket with the cover of the rights of spring record screened on the back. So, I mean, I, mean, I guess I did sick. like, I guess I was and like, you know, no one besides like me and my 15 friends that were into it knew what it was. Um, so I guess I was like, right. I was, big Rights of Spring Somewhat. fan in 91. Yeah. I don't know if you see, but behind me, it's like an owl's meme I made forever ago about Uh, the lost. If you're familiar with the lost meme. No. It's like, (laughs) it's, it's such a dumb old internet meme. That's like taken from this, this like online, uh, web comic where it's like a panel. Um, I guess this, it's like an insufferable web comic about like, uh, video game fanatics and, uh, there's like a four panel frame where uh, the main character's partner loses their baby 
but there's no tech, like has like a miscarriage and there's no text. So it's like the first panel is him running into the hospital. And the second panel is like him talking to the doctors at a desk. And the third panel is like him going into the room. And the fourth panel is him like sitting at the hospital bed with uh, his partner. And it's been kind of over time turned into like shapes. So it's like one line for the first panel and then two lines and then two lines and then a flat line. And people just take images and like turn it into that format. And it's really fucking dumb. But if you have been like engaging with tons and tons of uh, people's versions of the format, it just gets ridiculous. And it it, like resurfaces every couple of years. But yeah, I did the the owls cover and changed it to say loss instead of owls. Yeah, no, you did a good job describing it, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I know. It, like, hey, Jeff, that's the thing. Not, Jeff, did you ever did you ever foresee yourself way. explaining the loss meme to Tim Kinsella on a podcast in 2021? The thing is, when I selected it as my virtual background, I <laughs> had a feeling that it was a possibility, <laughs> and um, I took the risk. I jumped in. Yeah, you know? here we are. Yeah. yeah. This is the kind of risk taking we need. <laughs> All right. Brave. Um, so yeah, let's uh let's talk a little bit about like the offshoot projects of Joan of Arc, like Make Believe, Owls, Friend Enemy. Um huge fan. I would say like that first Owls record blew my fucking mind. I spent like eighty or ninety dollars on like an original copy on eBay oh. in like 2010. <laughs> I was like, I need this. Damn. Um that record just like, you know, I don't know what spawned you to like start that <clears throat> project um, when you had like Joan of Arc going. Um, well, you know, um, we had just made The Gap, which was a whole year um of like very slowly chopping up and processing things. And I think there was a impulse to like, want to make a more, you know, classic Led Zeppelin or Smith style, like, or the who just like a four piece rock band. Um, and, you know, um, in a, practical sense like victor was having a pretty hard time before that and it wasn't like we didn't really have the option of making something with him before that um and joan of arc was pretty like burned out and not sure where to go after um after the gap and the the intensity of it becoming like so i guess disembodied would be the right word like our songs had really become disembodied from the physicality of actually playing them as a band. Um, So yeah, so the Owls record, um, we really, and we hadn't really spent much time together in, you know, years. Um, Although I guess, right, the Ghost and Vodka record was before that. So I guess... Sam would have been around Vic a little bit. Um, we, we, Sam and Vic had a friend. I actually, they're just, um, 
like the big like weed warehouse superstore just opened across the street from this place. So I've seen it in the last year, but was never there much. Just like there's this corner of the city um, where their friend's dad owned like a machine parts warehouse. And for whatever reason, we had nowhere to practice. And for whatever reason, we ended up like using the locker room at this factory as like our practice space. Like, um, and it was really just like the whole record was written in like five days. And then um, we just like went in there, locked ourselves in there and wrote it really quick. Then like recorded demos of it, sat out for a couple months, tweaked a couple things. And then, um, yeah, so it, it was all very fast. Um, and we were originally put that out, right? Yeah, we were originally called Civil War. And um, I think maybe our first show, we were still called Civil War. We only played one show before at the Empty Bottle before um, recording the record. And I think even as we recorded the record, we still thought it was going to be called Civil War. And then at some point, we changed name towels. What's crazy, like Civil War, I'm like thinking back to some of the lyrics, which are like, I mean, obviously, I, I see you post on Instagram, you're like a somewhat political-minded uh, story sharer. And I'm like thinking back to these owl lyrics and like the original name being Civil War. And it's like, let's play who here would have gone Nazi seems mm-hmm. so fucking <clears throat> relevant to today, you know? Yeah. I'm like thinking about it. I, uh, you know, in preparation for the podcast, I went back and listened to a bunch of classic bangers and I was like, crazy it's you know i mean between that and like make believe was like somewhat of a political charged rock project yeah the whole sort of central concept of make believe was just like um i was very aware as the singer that it was a different kind of voice than like joan of arc it wasn't like personal in that way um and really it was like the bush administration and frustration with um the iraq war and um the sort of like crazy double speak which you know at the time was so overwhelming and harrowing and now by comparison seems so tame considering like how extreme republicans have become um so yeah the the like big sort of unifying vision of make believe originally had a slash in the title, make slash believe in in the band name. Um, And then I got outvoted when it came time to like release the first EP and start playing shows. Everyone else like, yeah, we don't like the slash. Um, But yeah, it was very much about like the crossover of like how, what people refer to as like political, and how that's attached to like the occult and like, you know, psychedelia, I guess, in a, as for lack of a better word, but like just sort of like the, the programming that we all go through, the cultural programming, like mm-hmm. that, you know, politics isn't really a, like, right, we each have five senses but you're not like 
so it's pretty easy to be like, I understand this through touch. I understand this through sight. I understand this through taste. But also they all combine in your like memory and awareness, right? So like similarly, like politics is like a sort of like discipline of understanding and it's like a rarefied zone but it's not cut off from life. It's like, it's actually like, if you want to see like the effect of political policy, you can just like look around your room. Like it's everywhere. You know, look at, go to the grocery store. It's like, it is just a way of understanding the organizing forces of our lives. That makes sense. It's like, you know, fully like, it has like, cultural uh, influences. So it's like always changing, um, adapting or whatever. But, you know, it's also a form of control. And then at the same time, it's like the Bush administration, like putting out political music. It's like what the fucking Green Day American Idiot became like popular culture mainstream. Yeah. They made a musical out of it. Broadway musical. Jeff, Broadway when I was music. in I middle like- school, that was what emo music was. So <laughs> I would I would recommend you not stepping on my culture like that. <laughs> so, that's what we sorry. called emo music when I was in middle that's school. That's real emo right there. I'm 27, so that's why. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying is if it was a if there was a shock of being <clears throat> musical instead of a American idiot musical, maybe uh things would have gone differently. Um, There's still time. <laughs> still, still time, Tim. Shock of being musical would be fucking unreal. Um, yeah. So talking about that, I guess we're talking about the Owls record. We kind of have a theme. We've had a, a couple guests on that have worked with uh, Steve Albini. So we mm. always ask about uh, what that experience was like. So I feel like everyone's <laughs> got kind of a different, different take when it comes to working with him. Just like how much time they had with him, or like what it was mm-hmm. like. Um, I've done three records with him. One Owls, one Make Believe, one Joan of Arc. Um, yeah, I got nothing but respect for the guy. Um, we get along easily. I think, um, you know, we don't like keep in touch or something. He does, but, Yeah, he doesn't strike me as that like close necessarily with the people he works with. Like, I, I mean, I know a bit about... Like he's down to work with most people. If he's got the mm. time, you just message him and you guys are both like Chicago based. So I'm sure it was pretty easy to work it out. Um, oh yeah. I mean, he's just, I pass his studio all the time. Um, it's not, um, but he, yeah, he's not like, he's hyper smart, hyper observant. Um, so he's like very present with like um, whatever's happening around him, but he's also has like a real deep knowledge so he can like understand what's happening around him in a lot of different contexts. Um, and, you know, he he's, he's, can be a little snarky, but like not, he's not, he's like a kind person. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's, I don't think the like gruff, reputation in my experience that hasn't been um, validated. And I'm 
I'm pretty sure if you asked Tim about like whatever reputation I might have of being whatever, he would probably be like, I don't know. Tim seems fine to me. You know, like it's not, um, yeah, it's very simple. I mean, Jeff I was love hoping his for some inter- high school drama. High school well, drama. No, I love his interviews because he's like he's regarded as being like like very blunt and like tough in in like interviews and stuff. But it's like I watched that uh, the Jawbreaker documentary not that long ago, and it's like the first clip of him in it. He's like, "Wait, are we talking about Jawbreaker or Jawbox?" And it's like <laughs> if you understand, he's just done so much stuff. It's like hard oh, yeah, to keep I, track. I guarantee if you asked him. Like he would have no idea the difference between the Joan Mark record, the make believe record and the owls record he made. (laughs) Right. Because like the Joan of Arc record he made, well, the owls record had me, Sam and Victor, the make believe record had me and Sam and the Joan of Arc record had me and Victor. So I think, um, to him, it's like a continuation of a a project. Like, yeah, he just thinks about the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, uh, I always ask the guests, I'm like, I'm on a quest to eventually get in touch with him. And, uh, I'm curious to find out what he thinks or if he was a fan of the movie West or the TV show Westworld, <laughs> just because there's so much, uh, digital going on versus analog. If he, uh, objects to it on any level. I mean, you can call the studio and he will probably answer the phone. <laughs> we should cold call him on the podcast. That could and, be that could be the future. And uh if he doesn't, you just say is Steve available? <laughs> and someone will say yes or no and or you can I'm sure his email is on the um Yeah, he's not he's not in hiding or something. We he's should just very, book studio time with him to do the podcast. Well, I'm like, I'm like, it's going to be a, a long payoff of a bit because we've had so many collaborators of his on that eventually when he comes on the podcast, we're going to get the, the listeners will get the answer. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You know, to be clear, I would never say that we were collaborators as much as like we hired him to do a technical thing. To do the technical. You know, right. Yeah, he doesn't even. He would, he would probably like say the same thing. Only. I think that's oh, his yeah, for sure. opinion, right? He's a technician, right? Yeah, and that Joan of Arc record we recorded with him, it was so stupid. We um, we were in Europe for a month, and we were just playing the new record that wasn't released yet um, in Ooh. sequence each night, and sort of like being like, okay, well, that didn't, um, you know, let's do this part twice as long tomorrow. You know, we'll try it at soundtrack or whatever. So people who came to the shows were just seeing like, a full maybe I don't know maybe we did an encore of a couple old songs or something. Um, but every night we were just playing the record beginning to end. Then we like, I remember it was December. It was cold out, and I remember we like landed in Chicago one afternoon and then had to load in to start recording with him the next morning because we like didn't want to lose any time in terms of being tight, but we didn't account for like the time change and jet lag. So we were just like, you know, one night we were playing in like uh, Dusseldorf or whatever. And like the next day we're playing the same exact set in the studio with him without even skipping a day. But yeah, we could like hardly stay awake to do it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's like definitely a tight fucking schedule. And I know like studio time with him probably isn't like it's I'm sure he works with people. I've heard it's like sliding scale, but I'm sure it's not like you don't want to waste any any fucking resources like, you know, catching up. Yeah, no, I mean, even that was 10, 11 years ago now. So I wouldn't I don't know what the what the deal is now. I know this is like the final Joan of Arc album. You guys are ending the project. I, I'm not even sure if there's like technically been like an end to the other projects. Like, does this mm. put a cap on like make believe or owls doing more stuff or even like Joan of Arc presents type compilations mm. coming out? Well, there is two things. There's two Joan of Arc things that are already recorded that aren't out yet that, um, in the next couple of years will come out. Um, Yeah, I mean, make believe we definitely still all talk about that we have never broken up and we're always just like, yeah, we just aren't doing anything right now. But then at the same time, it's like, I don't know, I talked to Nate last week and um, there's there might, there's talk of some make believe reissues in the next year. Um, so we've been like talking about make believe a little bit more in the last couple months. And um Nate told me he like listened back and was he he like was sad but also like cracking up about like imagining trying to play that music anymore you know because he was playing drums and keyboard at the same time at like 150 bpm <laughs> <laughs> like in like uh, you know a 713 time signature yeah. or something and and He's just like, oh my god! Like, no way would I ever try to do that. And um, and Sam too. Uh, and I couldn't imagine those would be easy songs to relearn. And me, I, I couldn't scream like that anymore. I mean, it would be interesting, or like at least the fact that it's never ended. You guys can always keep certain things just being like a studio project and not have to worry about like the finances of touring behind it. Or yeah. Yeah, we're definitely, there's, there's been like, you know, I still talk to everyone in that band is still like, same as Joe Mark, it's like still like my best friends. Um, mm-hmm. So we still talk pretty frequently, but there was only like two times where we like, since we broke up that all four of us were in the same room at the same time. And we were like, sort of like shocked. You know, it's not weird for me to see like Sam and Bobby. It's not weird for me to see Bobby and Nate. It's not weird for me to see maybe Sam and Nate probably don't see. No, I've seen, yeah. But like, just like we were all at uh, our friend's studio coincidentally at the same moment one afternoon, like five, six years ago. And then we're all like, hey, it's make believe. Hey, we're here we are. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it, it's it would be very enjoyable for us to all be together, but um, you know, people have lives. I mean, it would be sick. What was the last one was the going to the Bone Church? Was the last one you guys put out? Yeah, um, that one was great. I you know all of the make believe stuff is it's fun. It's like it was almost like you know between the owls records it was like kind of a little bit more of like the rock band formula oh yeah for sure 
course, of course, of course. Of course, they deny science and they lie. Any admission of evolution. Of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Of course, they bend your mind, make you wonder why. Cause if they insist, time exists, they imply. Me and my wife are, uh, we have 50 songs started for our new record. Wow. And um, for the new Good Folk album? Yeah, yeah. So we, we stopped at 50. She's been taking bass lessons. And um, I've been learning Ableton, which um, I'm taking like this online course with for it. And um, which, you know, I had Ableton for, oh yeah, I told you because I was recording the vocals on this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've had it for like five years, but I didn't, the like layout of it, I don't know if you guys use it at all, but like the the interface isn't very intuitive to me as like someone who's been using Pro Tools for 20 years and yeah. uh, reason. It's a different workflow. Yeah. So I just never, I would like open it once a month, poke around for 10 minutes and be like, ah, I don't really care. But um, <laughs> So now that she's taken bass lessons and I'm doing that, it like really cracked open like a new way of writing for us. Mm. It's been really fun. So um, when we hit 50 songs, like I've always loved the, we always make way too much and cut away, you know, like that new John Mark record, there was like 25 songs and, uh, and that becomes a sore spot with the label. Cause they always think like, Oh, that means you have extra songs for like a, EP a seven or inch or something. Yeah. And, and I was like, no, like we don't want people to hear the parts, you know, like right. mm-hmm. you go to like a, a show at a gallery and you see the paintings, you aren't like, cool, is there another one? It's like, I'm sure they did plenty of sketches to figure out which were the ones that worked. So anyways, we had 50 and we were like, this is a fuck of a lot of music. Um, how do we whittle this down? So we've been having a listening party every Saturday where we like... Uh, listen to all of the songs and then like have like a rating system, uh, you know, one through five, five being like, this definitely has to be on the record. One being like, no way. Mm. And uh, we've been doing it over and over so that we didn't just like have, and it's pretty crazy how different, like, knowing that like, oh, I definitely gave this song like a four last week. And this week I'm like giving it a one, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's, so that's, a really, that's, cool that's a really though. interesting way to narrow down your, like a, a peer focus group, uh-huh. like a close friend focus group that you guys keep running until you get the right formula. I, no, I think that's, I mean, the focus Pretty group good. being ourselves, just like being yourselves. We yeah. don't, we don't, we, so we've been working on like the lyrics and some of like the technical flow of things all week, but then we don't like listen to the songs in between. Mm -hmm. So anyways, uh, we're about to like 
have our final listen and tally the votes right now and then like listen to our record for the first time um wow. or Hell you know yeah. the very very basic outline of it for the first time um it's, a, it's exciting though like you know having like so many places you can go with it and like fucking messing around and then analyzing it the fun part yeah we got a bunch of sort of systems in place to guide us for how to shape it mm-hmm. um it's really fun. I mean, it's basically our life is like 24-hour band practice now. Sure. Um, well, I was going to say, if we if we have like a limited time, I did want to bring up one of my favorite like videos from the internet of all time is you guys at the museum in Chicago playing the intro to Under Pressure for over 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> can, can, can we talk a little bit about like that performance? Like what? Oh, yeah, sure. What caused you guys to do that? That shit... It rules because um, the tension in the crowd, you could see they're all just waiting for it to fucking start and you guys just keep taking it back. Yeah. I can't remember. It was a show curated um, by our friend Jason Lazarus, who now actually got a job in Florida and lives there somewhere teaching at a art school. Um, I can't remember what the, what the theme of the show was, but... Um, under pressure has always been like one of my like, you know, ten favorite songs ever. Like, like if I'm walking through a grocery store and I hear it, I have to like stop and listen to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> like it's just like one of the most powerful songs on earth to me. So, um, a real banger. And actually, at that Civil War show, um, this is one of the like one of the musical um, highlights of my life actually was uh, we, the first owl show we covered under pressure and I, I like could never hit that like super high note at practice, you know, but like when the mm. time came at the show, I was just like, I'm just like psyched myself up, you know, I'm, I'm fucking doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I like, Hell yeah, dude. And, and I, and I hit it. Or at least that's how I remember it. <laughs> you blacked out and you're like, oh, I guess I did it. That's what counts though. Like your fucking memory of the experience is all that matters. If it felt fucking awesome, then I hold on to that very, shit. Uh, I guess that works in a personal way. Um, yeah. So how did we, I don't remember what the... the uh, Just you guys playing the intro over and over again at the museum. Right. Well, I mean, I know the show, we were the, the only performance... And it was like a big group art show, maybe like, I don't know, 25 artists, sculptures and paintings. And we were the only band or the only performance. Um, Whatever the show was titled prompted that idea. That's all I can tell you about it. Sure. I uh, I highly recommend like any, anybody listening to search for that video because it's fucking awesome. And uh, you can just feel it's like, it's it's totally like an art performance, you know, like people that went there to see Joan of Arc play that seem surprised. It's like, this is this is the kind of thing that if I went to see you guys at a museum play, I would want to see, you know? Yeah, it was, um, if I remember correctly, it was definitely like um, every couple minutes people would be like, woo, like, come on! <laughs> Audience <laughs> has no more. idea how to how to interact yeah, they, with would, it. they would get bored and walk away and then like come back and just be like 
I think at the the comments in the YouTube video, there's like they someone like named a time in there. They're like, at this time, Tim looks like he's about to go into the lyrics and he doesn't. It's like the best part of the video. And you could just see the people behind you guys like like amping up for it and then being like, wait, what? I don't Is know. I think it's happen? yeah. It's just a. To me, it's like it says everything about what you need to know about Joan of Arc is just like, don't expect what you think you're going to get. Um, when which has always was been that? Fun. When's that video from? What year? Yeah, mm-hmm. like what record time? Um, I see a video from February 9th, 2012. So I guess it was, it was yeah, quite a yeah, while I would have said, yeah, I would have guessed. I was going to guess 2010, but 2012 sounds right. Yeah, that's the, you know, that's the thing is like, there's obviously it's been said in that article, the, the, um, oral history Joan of Arc article that you guys, or was just written about y'all. But that's the thing is like always changing and evolving and doing something new. That's the most interesting thing. And you were saying being like, the last band of the nineties, it's like, really you guys are in as much as like, you're not fucking going back to like your classic sound, trying to like play off the most popular thing you guys ever did. You're always like looking at a new angle. And by you guys, I mean, it's mostly you're the one that's like kind of organizing, orchestrating the whole thing. So I think that that's, I mean, in a lot of ways I'm, I'm very much the, janitor as much as the CEO, you know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like it wasn't like my grand vision all the time. Like mm-hmm. I think like especially Bobby and Theo, um the last decade have been and I mean obviously nineteen eighty four with Molina too, but like yeah, it was always very collaborative. It was usually sort of like I would have some sort of system in place. Cause it's always like, there's always a pile of so many songs to choose from. And then when it's time to like, um, make a record, the issue wasn't like, Oh, what are the songs? It was more like, how are we going to put them together? Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, but then that, that became a collaborative thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in the scope, I'm sure like in the moment you weren't, you know, you were just trying to keep it going. And then in hindsight, when you like collect the history, it's like, oh, Tim was the guy like organizing. I'm sure like in the moment you were just like trying to keep it together, not thinking about all of the ways it's analyzed now. Um, But yeah, I was going to say you... You said your time left was limited. Do you have anything you want to plug? Tell people where they can find new good fuck stuff or Yeah, no, just the good fuck band camp. Um we made a lot of EPs. What we you know, because we had, like I said, we had I don't know, 35 songs maybe at the beginning of last year. Like when we left for Italy, which was just over a year ago. You know, we thought we were staying for five months at least. And then we were trying to work out visa stuff, maybe just be there. But then when the pandemic hit um, and we were locked in the house there, 
they're like, well, it might be rough being locked in the house in Chicago too, but at least we're like, it, it was pretty creepy being locked in, in a different country mm-hmm. where you don't speak the language and stuff. Um, but by the time we got there, we had 35 songs that we thought we would be working down to 10 for the record. But then when we suddenly had no income because we couldn't play shows, then it was like, and the band camp Friday thing came out. We can like, we were just like, Oh, we can group these five work together. So yeah. So there's just a lot of stuff on band camp and the EPs all sound pretty different from each other. So I would say to people, if they check one out and they aren't feeling it, they should try another one. It's going to sound <laughs> just try all of them until different. you listen to everything. And then by yeah. then you'll find something I mean, you it, like. Yeah. It's, it's the same as Joan of Arc, man. I mean, I could see some people, it's all about the introduction. You got to hit <clears> them with something, you know, till, till they, it clicks, you know? And I feel like there's so many, it's like I could show someone a Joan of Arc record and, be, they're like kind of vibing and I'm like, hold on, try this one. And I put it on and then they're like, Oh my God, this is my favorite band. And then from there they go back and listen to the first one I showed them and they appreciate it like on a whole different level because they're already, they got hooked. They're connected. Mm. Oh, I appreciate you hooking people. Thank you. <laughs> uh, of course. Well, the you know, evangelist. I mean, yeah. Just, Thank you. you know, talking about music you like with people, your band's going to come up as, having influenced my taste over so long. Thank you so much. It means a lot. When I first met Jeff, he strapped me to a chair (laughs) and he made me listen to this must be the placenta 20 times in a row. And that's that's Jeff's test of if if you can be friends with Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, do you want to come over? This new uh, song just came out. And then uh, I had the chair with the strap set up and, uh, and then we it were was, like, let's do it. Was let's just do a podcast. the intro, yeah. too. Like the synth bit, the <laughs> it was just that bit. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was, try, I was trying to, uh, I, I was feeding off of the under pressure performance, right? Yeah. Trying to create my own little, uh, your own private performance. Uh, yeah, my own um, performance art type situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and we, we became famously good friends afterward. It was just like eventually, like, you know, like when you, there were like some marks on my wrist from being strapped to the chair, but after investigating more, I was I was really into it. Right. I had I, some some I had some bl- some subliminal audio like interspersed in, underneath uh, the Joan of Arc song that uh, maybe why you trusted me a little bit more than you should have. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for coming on, Tim. It's oh yeah, really thank awesome. you guys. Thanks so yeah, much for, for having sure. me. Thank you. I want to show you, I, uh, I've been propping my phone up with the Joan of Arc. Uh, you can't really see it. The cassette box, the wood box. Oh, right. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's like a wooden box that housed like uh, a bunch of the Joan of Arc cassettes yeah. that Joyful Noise put out mm. in like 2010. Jeff Very sick. Does like Number the reverse 31 of 100. <laughs> reverse Nardwar. Yeah. He just yeah, shows I, you a bunch of things he has up here. Yeah, and I, you don't get any I, of it. <laughs> You're just like, like, I got it though. (laughs) I'm like, what does this bring to mind? And you're like, when I made it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Thanks thanks so much. much. Uh, Thanks, Tim. Thank you so much, guys.
Thank you.